In Matthew chapter 1, I'll be reading the first two verses there. As I already mentioned, keep your Bibles open. But please stand with me out of honor to God and his word as I read. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, your disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. All righty, thank you. You may be seated. So we are looking at the Sabbath, and Sabbath, I'm going to point this out, but it does mean uh, rest. It does mean rest. And speaking of rest, there was a husband who had not been feeling well. So he and his very, very talkative wife went to see the doctor. Well, after examining the husband, the doctor told the very talkative wife, Your husband needs rest and lots of peace and quiet. Here are some sleeping pills to help. The wife asked, Well, how often do I give them to him? The doctor replies, these pills are not for him, they're for you. (laughs) Let's look at the Sabbath for Christians today, the Sabbath for Christians. First of all, looking at the origin of the Sabbath. The Hebrew word sabbat, from which we get Sabbath, uh, means to cease or to rest. And, And we use this word Sabbath or sabbatical. You know, when a teacher takes a year off or something, uh, they call that a sabbatical. Sometimes a preacher will take maybe a year off and do some study. Maybe he's working on a terminal degree or something like that. And we call that a sabbatical. It is to rest or to cease. And it really comes from the creation account. When you read in Genesis chapter 2, the first three verses there, it talks about how God created everything that exists and then God rested. Now understand this. God did not rest because he was tired. God rested because he was finished. In fact, Psalm 121, the first four verses inform us there that God never slumbers, God never sleeps, God never gets tired, God never gets worn out. He's not like we are in that respect. Uh, He rested not because he was tired, he rested because he was done. But it goes on to say there that after God rested, then he sanctified the day. That seventh day when he rested, he sanctified it. That word means to set apart or set aside. He set it aside. And why did God set aside that day? Well, first of all, to celebrate his creation. You might remember each day of creation, the first day after the end of the first day, God says it was good, and the second day it was good, and the third day it was good. But once he's done, he steps back and he says, it's very good, very good. And so God set that day aside to celebrate his creation and to enjoy his creation. Well, fast forward to the time of the law, the time of Moses and the giving of the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath comes up again. It comes up again. And in fact, in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8, the law prescribes the seventh day or Saturday as the Sabbath. Now, here's something that I find to be very interesting, and that is the word Sabbath in Hebrew and the word seven in Hebrew share the same Hebrew root. Uh, Those words are each three letters long, very short words. Sabbath and seven are three letters long, but they share the first two. So they share a common root. And seven and Sabbath are related. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because it was on the seventh day that God took a Sabbath, a Shabbat, a rest. Now, according to Jewish tradition, the Sabbath is to be celebrated from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Now, that's a little different from how we determine our days. We determine our days from morning to evening. So you wake up in the morning and say, ah, it's a new day. You don't wait till the sun is going down and say, oh, it's a new day. So it seems kind of opposite, but why is that? We'll go back to creation account. After day one, the Bible says, in evening and morning were the first day. 
and day two. Evening and morning were the second day. So the reason our Jewish friends calculate days and the Sabbath in particular from sundown to sundown is that seems to be the way God calculates days as well. But when you read the law there, the Ten Commandments, what is the purpose of the Sabbath? It is to rest and it is to remember the Creator. These are the reasons to rest and to remember the Creator. Something you read here in the Ten Commandments, of course, it's listed on the one here on the left at the very bottom. It says, remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. Well, the Sabbath is already holy. Remember, God has already set it aside. He has already made it holy. It is our job to keep it holy. And that's where the problem comes in. We seem to have trouble keeping the Sabbath day holy. It's already holy. We need to do our part to keep it that way. So we see the origin of the Sabbath. But secondly, I want us to look at the intent of the Sabbath. Why did God put this Sabbath in our schedule anyway? Well, first of all, to rest. Again, that's what the word sabbat means. It means to rest. Our creator knows our bodies need a rest. He knows that because he created us. And when you think about it, life is unending toil, and a Sabbath provides a break in the toil to invigor us to return to our toil. Again, God knew that we needed a break, and that's why Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man. Look what he says here in Mark 2, 27. And he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Work is a gift from God. And so is Sabbath rest, a gift from God. And so the intent of the Sabbath, first of all, is to rest. But the intent, secondly, is to remember our Creator. To remember our Creator as we gather to worship God formally. Observing a weekly day of worship is also a gift from God. As we gather to worship, whether we're singing or praying or hearing preaching or whatever the case might be, this is encouraging us in the faith. As we gather for weekly worship, formal worship of God on the Sabbath, that is encouraging us in the faith and it also fortifies us against the tides of worldliness. But what if we didn't set aside a day? What if God hadn't set aside a day for formal worship? What would happen then? Let's just be honest with ourselves and be frank. We'd never get around to worshiping, would we? There'd always be something else. If we didn't have this day every week on the calendar, well, we're going to church today. We're going to worship God today. If we didn't have it there, we'd probably never get around to doing it. God knew that. And so we're not only to rest on the Sabbath, we are to remember our Creator. Part of remembering our Creator is learning about God. Not just formal worship, but learning about God. And how do we do that? Well, we do that with sermons like you're doing now. In Sunday school, like you've just come from. Awana, by the way, Awana starts back up uh, next weekend, next Sunday. What are those children doing as they're learning verses? And by the way, the leaders are learning those verses right along with them. What are they doing? They're learning about God. And so this is what we should be doing on the formal Sabbath day, we should be worshiping God formally and learning about God. But thirdly, we can do good works that glorify God. Look down to verse 10. It says there, And behold, there was a man who had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? Well, as you're going to see a little bit later on, Jesus goes on and he heals that man. Because doing good works that glorify God, that's okay to do on the Sabbath. In fact, think about it. I know it's a joke, and it's not a funny joke, that preachers only work one day a week, right? We only work one day a week. But when is that? It's on the Sabbath, right? I'm working right now. 
I'm having a ball, by the way, but I'm working right now. And I will tell you, in order to present this to you, I've been working all week, in fact, the week before, to get this into a form that hopefully you can appreciate and use. But the fact of the matter is, it is a preacher's work day. The Sabbath is. And what am I doing? Hopefully, I'm doing a good work that glorifies God. We can also minister to others in need. Again, we remember our Creator by worshiping Him formally, by learning more about Him, and doing good works that glorify God. And so the intent of the Sabbath is to rest and to remember our Creator and to reflect on God's creation, the beauty of nature which was created by God, spending time with our families which have been created by God, fellowshipping with our Christian family which has also been created by God. So we see the origin of the Sabbath. We see the intent of the Sabbath. But thirdly, I want us to look at the abuse of the Sabbath, the abuse of the Sabbath. The first abuse of the Sabbath is called legalism. Making the Sabbath a burden. Legalism. Back to verse 1 where we started. Jesus' disciples picked some grain on the Sabbath. Now, they were hungry. They were going through the field, it says there. And uh, because they were hungry, uh, they just grabbed a, you know, a, little, a grain here and there. And by the way, back in that day, that was legal to do. It was legal. And so they weren't stealing from the farmer. This was kind of expected that people would do this if they were hungry and walking through the field. The problem is, though, Jewish teaching of the day considered this reaping. They considered this harvesting. Now, the disciples were not out there with their combine, you know, and and harvesting the field. They were just hungry, and they were pucking a few pieces of grain. But the Jews of the day, they said, oh, he's reaping. They are harvesting. And, of course, reaping on the Sabbath was forbidden, and it should be. Working your fields on the Sabbath, uh, that was forbidden. But here's the deal with the Pharisees. The Pharisees derived 39 basic categories of activities that were prohibited on the Sabbath. 39 categories. Not 39 things you couldn't do. 39 categories. And so the Bible says don't work on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees come along and say, well, let's define this a little bit more. God really didn't get it detailed enough. And so they came up with 39 categories, each of which probably had 20 or more things underneath it that you can't do on the Sabbath. Let me give you a few examples. If you wanted to travel on the Sabbath day, you could only go three-quarters of a mile. If you went one inch further than three-quarters of a mile, you violated the Sabbath. By the way, that was a round trip, so you can go three-quarters of a mile. You can come back three-quarters of a mile. They also dictated certain weights that could be carried. They said if you're going to make this trip, you've got to be careful. You don't really carry much with you because you'll be working on the Sabbath. And so you can carry ink with you, but only enough ink to inscribe two letters, not two three-page letters, two Hebrew letters. And if you're traveling this three-quarter mile and uh, you want to carry some rope with you, you can only carry enough rope for making a basket handle. No more. Otherwise, you violated the Sabbath. Now, Exodus 35.3 does say that you're not allowed to kindle a fire on the Sabbath. Now, if you have your fire burning from the night before and it's still burning, that's fine. Uh, But you can't kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. Well, I want to bring that forward to modern times. If you have any Jewish friends, some of them, they take this very seriously, in fact, too seriously. And because there's not to be any fires burning on the Sabbath, before the sun goes down on Friday, they unscrew the light bulb from their refrigerator so that their refrigerator is not burning light on the Sabbath. Now, here's what I don't understand. 
They leave the refrigerator running, okay? It's still making stuff cold. The freezer is still making stuff frozen, but at least the light's not on. So when you go there to get a snack on the Sabbath, you don't know what you're getting. (laughs) But these are all abuses of the Sabbath. Legalism. A second abuse is ignoring what needs to be done. Ignoring what needs to be done. If you look down in verse 11, Jesus said, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on and lift it out? And so if your sheep falls in a pit, or in Luke 14, 5, he says, If your ox falls in the ditch, you get it out. Jesus said if there's something that needs to be done, on, it needs to be done on the Sabbath, you don't ignore it. Because if you do, that's an abuse of the Sabbath. What about the disciples here in verse 1? Well, they were hungry. And they needed food right now. And so what did they do? Did they bring out the tractor and everything? No, they were just going through the field and they grabbed a couple of grains to eat. That's all. They did not ignore what needed to be done. Jesus also points out to his critics in verses 3 and 4 that David violated the law to meet his needs as well. Let's look at verse 3. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? As part of the formal worship of God in that day in the tabernacle, the priest used to bake bread and it would sit out for a week. And that bread was to be eaten only by the priests, and they did bake more bread and bring it out and so on. However, in this case, David was hungry and the guys that were with him, and so they went into the tabernacle and they took some of that bread and they ate it. And Jesus said, what about that? David's your hero, right? David's the greatest king of Israel, right? Look what he did. And so it is abuse of the Sabbath if we ignore what needs to be done, like helping others. Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. Look down in verse 13. Then Jesus said to the man, Stretch forth your hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like the other. Jesus helped him. Was this work, doing the healing? Yes, it was work. But he didn't ignore what needed to be done. This man needed his hand healed. That is why we can do work on the Sabbath, helping others, like encouraging fellow Christians. Maybe after this service you'll go home and you notice somebody that normally sits in the pew there with you. They're not here today. And so you might make a phone call. You might write them a card. You may even get in your car and go visit them. And that's fine as long as it's not more than three-quarter of a mile away, right? (laughs) Boy, if we're up to that, I don't think any of us would be. Maybe the pickles could come to church. I don't think anybody else could come to church if we were limited to three-quarter of a mile. And we can offer assistance to others who are in need. That is certainly no violation of the Sabbath. And let's not forget civil protection. For instance, medical personnel, police and fire, military folks. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. It doesn't matter what time it is. These folks need to be at the ready to help us in our time of need. And so an abuse of the Sabbath is legalism. Another abuse of the Sabbath is ignoring what needs to be done. A third abuse of the Sabbath is doing on the Sabbath what can be done the day before or the day after. Boy, I wish more Christians got a hold of this. Skipping church to work on something that can wait is futile. I'm going to say that again Skip because it makes me mad. Skipping church to work on something that can wait is futile. You will find that it will either take longer 
and or cost more than had you waited. I want to tell you how my mom raised me. This is what she'd always say. Whatever you do on Sunday, you're going to do again on Monday. When you don't honor God and you do on Sunday, what could wait or you could have done the day before? You're just going to do it again. Here's a principle for you to carry throughout all your life. Honor God and he will honor you. Not just concerning the Sabbath. You honor God and God will honor you. We all dishonor God to our own detriment. Well, a fourth abuse of the Sabbath is doing evil. Doing evil. Uh, Look in verse 2. The scribes and Pharisees, they decided to do something evil. They decided to criticize the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God in the flesh... On the Sabbath. Look what it says. When the Pharisees saw it, they said, And behold, your disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. And so it wasn't okay to go reaping and you know feeding yourself, but it was okay to criticize God in the flesh. But it gets worse. Look in verse 14. The scribes and Pharisees had no problem with conspiring murder. After Jesus heals this guy with a withered hand, it says, Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. Apparently that's okay on the Sabbath. Okay, You can't walk more than three-quarters of a mile. Uh, you can't carry much ink with you. Uh, but if you want to plot the murder of somebody, fine and dandy. Uh, by the way, doing evil is not only an abuse of the Sabbath. It's an abuse of any day of the week. We're never to be doing evil. And so we've seen the origin of the Sabbath. We've seen the intent of the Sabbath. We've seen the abuse of the Sabbath. Thirdly and finally, though, I want to look at the necessity of the Sabbath. Again, the the title of this message is The Sabbath for Christians. And so where do we come into this? Well, let me say this. We are no longer bound by the Old Testament law. Jesus claims to be Lord of the Sabbath. Look in verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. In other words, if Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, he can determine and he alone can determine how to properly observe it. And he did not have a problem healing somebody on the Sabbath. He did not have a problem with these guys grabbing a few grains of corn on the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He alone determines what you can do and what you can't do on the Sabbath. But there's something more significant going on here when he claims to be Lord of the Sabbath. Who instituted the Sabbath? God did. On the seventh day of creation, right after he finished creating, not because he was tired, but because he he rested because he was done, and he set up the Sabbath day. When Jesus claims to be Lord of the Sabbath, he is claiming to be God in the flesh. So we don't have to be bound by this Old Testament Sabbath law. In fact, Jesus... By his grace has made us free. And he said in John 8, 38, 36, if the Son shall make you free, you'll be free indeed. You'll be free completely. You'll be free absolutely. And if you're free, you're not bound to the law. We're not responsible for the Old Testament laws. This is something you can look at later. But in Acts chapter 15, verses 28 and 29, is a letter that is provided for us verbatim. And let me give you the context. There were believers. Some had a Jewish background. And they were coming into the church. There were believers who had a Gentile background, and they were coming into the church. And the apostles realized early on this could be a real problem, trying to mix Jew, Jewish background and Gentile background together, and we've got to make sure that they don't fight. We've got to make sure they get along. So what can we do? And so they write a letter. And again, that letter is given for us verbatim in Acts 15. 
And the letter addresses two situations, food and fornication. Concerning the food, it says that these Gentiles were to stay away from meat that had been offered to idols. They were to make sure they didn't eat anything strangled and that they didn't eat blood. And then fornication, I don't think I need to go into detail on what that is. Now, these items would serve two purposes, as the apostles saw it. First of all, this would keep Gentile believers from stumbling back to their old way of life. Again, a lot of these Gentile believers had been eating meat sacrificed to idols, and you know where they got it? They got it from the temples where they were sacrificing uh, meat to idols, and so that's where they'd get it. Well, if they go back there and get that meat, they're going right back into that old way of life. As far as the fornication goes, part of pagan worship in that day involved fornication with prostitutes and so again it was dangerous for the Gentiles to be going back into that situation so the first purpose this served was to keep the Gentile believers from stumbling into their old way of life but the second reason would allow Jews and Gentiles to eat and fellowship if a Jew and Gentile sat down together and that Jew realized that you know, as a Gentile, you're eating meat sacrificed to idol or you're eating something that had been strangled or you're eating something with blood, uh, they'd get up and say, I can't sit here, I can't. But that's not what the apostles wanted to happen. They wanted to bring everybody together to be unified. And so they say, be careful of your food and watch fornication. But note something that's missing. They mention nothing about keeping the Sabbath. They mention nothing about make sure you keep worshiping on you know sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. They don't say that. Because that was not an issue that would cause division in the church. Food and fornication would definitely, but not this. But let me say this, even though we're not bound by Old Testament law, we should use one day each week as our Sabbath. And remember, God instituted the Sabbath for us. Jesus said that. It's for man. And so we should use one day each week as our Sabbath. And the actual day doesn't matter. Look what Paul writes here in Colossians 2.16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day or the new moon or the Sabbath days. Don't let anybody tell you when the Sabbath is. We need each of us a day set aside. And on that day we should rest. On that day, we should remember our Creator, and on that day, we should reflect on God's creation. Now, if you have any Seventh-day Adventist friends, they would disagree with me wholeheartedly on this point. In fact, they would disagree so much, they would say that if you worship God on Sunday, like you're doing now, you have taken the mark of the beast. So... You know the mark of the beast from the book of Revelation 666 and all that kind of stuff, can't buy, can't sell. They would say, if you go to church on Sunday, you have taken the mark of the beast. I don't want to get into that. Let me just say, I don't think so. Christians, though, have chosen Sunday instead of Saturday. You say, well, I know why. I'm an historian. I know what Constantine did back in 325 A.D. I know what that pope, and I can't remember his name. I know what that pope did. He changed it from Saturday to Sunday, and that's why. No, it isn't. Christians have chosen Sunday instead of Saturday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was laid in the tomb 
on the Sabbath, but he rose again from the dead on Sunday. And when we gather today and every Sunday to formally worship God, we do so to celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Again, Jesus was in the tomb the entire Sabbath. But Jesus rose again on Sunday, marking a new Sabbath. I want to give you a little quick Greek lesson, and it's all in it's almost all in English. But if you read Matthew 28:1, you would see it says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. This is the beginning of the Easter story. But what I've done is taken the word Sabbath and translated or transliterated it into Greek for you. And also the same word in Greek, but they change the meaning no matter what version you're using. It's the identical word, sabbaton, which is Sabbath. So at the end of the sabbaton, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, sabbaton came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. What are you saying, Brother Gary? The Bible teaches that Jesus' resurrection marked a new Sabbath. The old Sabbath went away. The new Sabbath is on Sunday. So not only are we celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we have Greek Proof, Greek evidence that we are celebrating the proper Sabbath on Sunday. But secondly, we follow the example of the early church. Look, there he is, rising from the dead. We follow the example of the early church in the New Testament. Look at Acts 20 and verse 7. It says, and on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them. Sounds like church to me. And they were having the Lord's Supper. When was it? First day of the week. When is that? Sunday. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Paul's taking an offering. What preacher doesn't? Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him and store as God is prospering. What's going on the first day of the week in this church? They're worshiping God formally on Sunday. But there's a third reason that we Christians have chosen Sunday instead of Saturday. Yes, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Yes, we follow the example of the early church. But we like to begin each week with God. Begin each week with God. Not end each week with God. Begin each week with God. And I've talked to so many people through so many years that have said, you know, when I honor God first thing of the week, I go to church on Sunday, it just seems like the rest of the week goes better. And there's a lot of truth to that. And why? Because of that principle I shared with you earlier. When you honor God, God will honor you. But I'll tell you what we really need. We need the Sabbath that Jesus offers. We all need the Sabbath that Jesus offers. And I addressed this last week, some of it, so I don't want to belabor it. But first of all, we need rest from our futile working our way to God. And God's rest that he offers is by grace, not works. Titus 3.5, a good Awana verse, says this, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy God saved us. And my favorite verses in all the Bible, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We need the Sabbath that Jesus offers, rest from futile working our way to God. Salvation is our rest, and it comes without any work on our part. When you think about our salvation, God did all the work. The conception of the plan of salvation... The incarnation of his son, the crucifixion of his son, the resurrection of his son from the dead. This is all God's work. I didn't conceive the plan of salvation. I didn't somehow incarnate Jesus Christ. 
I didn't crucify Christ. I didn't cause Christ to raise from the dead. God did all the work. And it's our responsibility to receive what he has done. And how do you receive his work? You believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. That Jesus was buried for your sins. And the third day Jesus rose again from the dead. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. And I don't either. Having said that, I want to show you what something the writer of Hebrews says, and he seems to contradict what I've just said. Hebrews 4.11 says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Did you catch that? Let us labor. He doesn't even say work. He says labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So that seems to fly in the face of we're saved by grace. We can't earn it. We can't achieve it. Here's where knowing some Greek would do you a big favor. The word labor here, as it's used, means diligence, not work. It means diligence. So what the writer says is, let us be diligent, therefore, to enter into that rest. We must be diligent that we seek to enter God's rest, God's way. And what is God's way? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's God's way. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Without any hint of earning or deserving on our part. Not because we're so smart that we chose Christ. Not because uh, we made this excellent decision in our life. No. There is to be no hint whatsoever of earning or deserving on our part. Because you know what we all deserve, myself included? Hell. That's what we deserve. You want what you deserve? I don't. So we must be diligent that we seek to enter God's rest God's way. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, without any hint of earning or deserving on our part. But again, let's be honest, let's be frank here today. Our human tendency is to achieve what we receive. We want to achieve what we receive. We want to earn it. And particularly as Americans, what do you people tell your kids and your grandkids? Oh, get out there and work hard and work hard and you'll be successful. Make sure you show up at work and do what you're supposed to do and give an extra, you know, 10% or 50%, whatever it is, and you'll be promoted and you'll be successful. We want to achieve what we receive, but when it comes to salvation, you can't. All you can do is just passively receive. My grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the reason the writer of Hebrews says this is because diligence will keep us from perverting the doctrine of grace. Diligence will keep us from perverting the doctrine of grace. Because if we're not diligent, we'll come up with all kind of other things. How we have earned our salvation, how we deserve our salvation, how we're such a good person, how we're so smart. See, diligence grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone we need the Sabbath that Jesus offers first of all rest from futile working to God and as I talked about last week eternal rest in heaven as I mentioned last week heaven is among many other things a place of rest and in heaven we rest from our earthly labors You want to spend eternity in heaven. You want to rest from all your earthly labors. There's only one way. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
and we must be diligent to continue to believe that and we must be diligent to continue to preach and teach that from our pulpits, from our Sunday school lecterns, from our uh, Awana opportunities and any other opportunities we have. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So today as we've looked at the Sabbath, the Sabbath for Christians, we see the origin of the Sabbath. We know it goes all the way back to creation, all the way back there. God started this thing. And then he had it codified in his law under Moses. And then secondly, we looked at the intent of the Sabbath. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to rest. We're supposed to remember our creator and we're to reflect on his creation. And then we looked at some abuses of the Sabbath, like legalism or ignoring what needs to be done or doing on the Sabbath, which something that can be done the day before, the day after, or doing evil. And finally, we looked at the necessity of the Sabbath. Though we're no longer bound by the Old Testament law, we should use one day a week. Sunday works for me, but not really. But we should use one day a week as our Sabbath. Remember, the actual day doesn't matter. But why have we chosen Sunday instead of Saturday? Not because of Constantine, not because of some powerful pope. It is to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But what we need more than anything else is the Sabbath that Jesus offers. You can't work your way to God. You can't earn your salvation. You need to rest and receive. He's done all the work. And if you do so, you will receive eternal rest in heaven. And I hope to see you all there one day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gift of the Sabbath. We need a break. You know that. Even if we don't, you know it. But more importantly than all of that, we need to rest from our labors, trying to earn our salvation. And you've promised us eternal rest with you in heaven. We're grateful for these promises. We're grateful you've done all the work. Give us grace and faith to receive. And may we be diligent to avoid perverting your grace. Through Christ we ask.